Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that early childhood nerd podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt-Santi. You guys are going to love hearing about this book, and you're going to love this guest. I'm so excited. Um, Today, uh, joining me is Stacey Benj. Hi, Stacey. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Would you just tell folks a little bit about who you are, and then I'll continue gushing about the book before we... (laughs) So I'm an early childhood speaker and child development specialist, and um, I live in the, the Dallas, Texas area, but my passions are really language and physical development for birth to five. Um, I started my career like 30 years ago working, you know, in preschool and over, I guess just over the time spent probably a little over 10 years in the classroom. And then probably like 20 years, no, 15 years ago, just started um, going into presenting and training and kind of going from there. So, yeah. And I mean, our paths have crossed. We've been connected in social media for a while. And, um, you know, I see your name here and there, and I'm so glad to to meet you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Even if it's Zoom, uh, I'm really excited about this. So Stacy wrote a book uh, published by Exchange, and everybody who listens knows how I feel about Exchange. They do good stuff. Um, And it's called The Whole Child Alphabet, how young children actually develop literacy. I love the inclusion of actually yeah. <laughs> in the title. I'm guessing that's pretty intentional. Um, well, it, it actually the uh, the creative director, that was kind of his take on it because we kind of kept going that subtitles there, what is mm-hmm. it? And he's the one who was like, after he read through the book, he was like, this is what, he kind of in as a placeholder. And then we were yeah. like, that's, that's the subtitle, that kind of, totally that actually makes that yeah. word actually makes a complete difference yeah, yeah. and um I don't want to I don't want to embarrass you but I'm gonna say on on air now what I said to you in our conversation before I hit record that you know everyone who listens to the show knows I love to read knows I get excited about books I have authors that I love on all the time but there's like a handful of books in the last few years that have come out that I'm like this is this is this needs to be in everybody's hands like this is going to change things. And, um, and I told you off, you know, off mic again, it was like, like Mike Huber's rough and tumble book. Was that one of those for me and Carol Garbert and Murray, um, writing her illuminating care book. Um, and, and now I've got this one in here. And as soon as I started, I was like, so heavily highlighting and immediately thinking, how am I going to use this in class and how, um, you know, how do we, how do we, keep this going. So anyway, thank you. I'll just say thank you for this. Well, thank, thank you for, for saying that that's just a a huge honor. So I just, thank you. Yeah. And you know what? I forgot. I should have checked this. I think I have a discount code that I can give to people to order from exchange. So I'm going to have to put that in the, in the, um, (laughs) I told you my words would fail. What do you call it? Episode description. I'll put that. So if you're listening and you want to buy this book with that discount code, um, it's like a 10% off code and I'll put it in the, um, in the episode description because everybody needs it. I I think so. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
so I want everybody to have it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so we're going to dig into the actual book here, um, starting with a, with a quote where you're just talking about your viewpoint and how you're coming at this topic. Um, but I'll just, I'll just say, and I hope we touch on these things. It is a very practical book. Like it's not just all, here's what you should do. And here's why the other thing is, is not effective. It's okay. What can you actually incorporate tomorrow? You yeah. know, you have that kind of element to it, which I love. Um, and you also really emphasize our responsibility to be able to articulate this stuff to stakeholders, to people who are wanting to improve children's literacy skills or wanting to improve for whatever reason, then we need to be able to say, well, actually what they're doing over there on the slide right now is yeah. contributing to that. Um, and so you go into, I told you there's two chapters I especially loved. One is about vision and I'm going to ask you about that one. And one is about just physical development and how that sets the foundation, but also you're unapologetic about, you know, ch child led play or child chosen play is our biggest sort of yeah. secret weapon for all this literacy. What's so funny is like, like personality wise, I'm so like, Oh, you know, but I, when I was writing the book, I'm like, I am going for it. And I, yeah. and it was interesting, like when I turned the manuscript over, like how they kind of had to work on the tone a little bit. Cause what I learned is like, I can say stuff in person and like my intonation is like not a, you know, but they're like, okay, that didn't quite come across, but, <laughs> but it was still very like, no, it's, it's bold. And this is what I believe. And I tried yeah. to back it up as to, it's not just my opinion, but this is, you know, it, it, there, there are, you know, there's research and science to support it. Right. Yeah. So <clears throat> I'm just going to read this, um, this paragraph about your viewpoint from the very early part of the book, ask you to talk about that a little bit, and then we'll see where, where it goes from okay. there. Awesome. So um, yeah, this is on page 11. Um, and you said, although I work in the realm of early childhood education, I identify more as a developmentalist, which I wrote down. <laughs> That's so good. Um, focusing on human development across the lifespan in all domains. I believe the keys to early childhood or early education include understanding the intricacies of child development, building relationships with the children presently in the setting, then designing the environment, interactions, and experience around that. This is what will bring about the strong foundations that will support children in their future endeavors, not pushing a top-down agenda in introducing academics too soon. The mindset needs to be a matter of development, not a matter of teaching. Um, uh, this has been, I'm, I'm teaching this eight weeks uh, intro to early childhood class, and this has been a real focus for me. And so this kind of dovetailed in with that, talking more about development and less about teaching, like putting that focus on the child and the, th the, inter the intricacies that we need to know, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, um, kind of why I put that in there, I think some of it might be a little bit like of my insecurity of like, you know, the, the age old thing we talk about, oh, you're a preschool teacher, you're not yeah. a real teacher. And then with, you know, our three and four year olds going into more of the public schools, you know, people going, well, you're not a certified teacher. Yeah. And I guess like seven, eight years ago, um, I was having a conversation with a friend who's a psychologist. And as we were talking, she's like, you're a developmentalist. And like, when she said that, I'm like, oh, you're right, <laughs> I, you know, and I kind of started owning that at that <clears throat> point. And I think it kind of helps like when I, 
you know, okay, what's what's the viewpoint? What's what is it that I bring to the table? Well, we've got to look at child development. If we're not if we're not looking at that aspect, then nothing else really matters. I mean, that mm-hmm. that needs to be our our core focus is, you know, developmentally um, where, where are children and, and where, you know, where do they grow from there? But how do we, how do we foster that? So instead of like going, okay, we need to look at this curriculum or we need to be doing this instruction. It's like, okay, no, like what, what are those developmental foundations that we need to actually focus on? So I think it kind of changes that the paradigm a little bit. Yeah. That's, that's what I loved. I'm hundred percent stealing it by the way. Oh, go um, yeah. <laughs> but that, that's, that's what hit me so much is that I'm, I've become so increasingly uncomfortable with calling it early childhood education, um, over the last several years or calling myself a teacher. I used to really embrace it because I felt like no one respects what I'm doing. So if I call myself a teacher, I'll, I'll get that. Um, but for me, the more, I, I just think the way I see kind of the field going and policy going, whatever we can do to bring it back to the child is yeah. so important. And so if we're talking about teacher, I feel like I'm still really talking about myself and what I need in the classroom space or what I need from, uh, from the children. When we're talking about being a developmentalist, it helps me really shift to think it's about me understanding Ooh. what's going on and then supporting. And will some learning come from that? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so do you want to talk just like, do you want to give like an overview of the, what your goal was for the book or, or the kind of the overarching message? So the, the book is really based on, um, it's based on several of my trainings that I've done over the years, but it was really this one training that I used to call it, I'm talking like eight, nine years ago, do this, not that alphabet knowledge. Uh-huh. And then I kind of evolved, like that training evolved over the years. And, uh, but it, it, it really, that training grew out of going and visiting classrooms and, and talking, you know, uh, with teachers and, just kind of seen a lot of that focus on letter of the week, the mm-hmm. flashcards, the worksheets. And um, a lot of this is when I was doing CDA observations. So for people getting their CDA credential, and I would just have a conversation afterwards, like, what you know, can we shift away from this? And like, you know, I'd give my kind of my explanation, but then everybody, everybody would be like, okay, we get what you're saying, but what do we do? And yeah. then, so then I wrote that training and then I found that on the training, the questions I would get, I started getting deeper and deeper into child development. Yeah. And after so many people coming up going, you should write a book, then COVID hit and I became an empty nester. And I was like, this might be the time. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, but, um, but really the book it's, it's, even though it's called the whole child alphabet, it's really not a whole lot about the alphabet. It's, it's, to me, it's looking at the fundamentals of language and literacy, but I kind of do it through the lens of alphabet knowledge. Like what, you know, what do children need to develop before we even approach that? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, my goal really is to, to give uh, talking points and give really the substance of when we are talking to stakeholders of, okay, yeah, alphabet knowledge is important. Um, it's necessary, but it's not sufficient on its own. It's, yeah. you know, it's, we have to have all these other elements and there are things that come into place. It's not just a matter of, oh, we introduced the letter or, oh, we introduced whatever. 
we've got to understand, okay, what needs to be in place for the child to be able to do that. So that really mm -hmm. kind of was my, my goal and making sure that it looked at how child-led play is really the catalyst for it. Mm -hmm. Like if we don't have play, then really none of this is going to develop. And that's, I feel like sometimes that's things that I scream when, when people talk about, okay, well, we need children to do this. We need to do that. And I'm like, or we need to let them play. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm amazed at how, you know, how much will, will come of that. And, yeah. and, and I think that question or that, that idea that, well, we need them to do this, that most of the time comes from outside pressure. Mm -hmm. You know, I think like, uh, why do you need them to do? So we need them to be able to say all the letters before they go to kindergarten. Why do we need that? Uh, because someone else thinks that's the appropriate thing to ask for usually is the yeah. answer or the answer is because that's what families want. And that's why these stakeholder conversations become so important. Um, you know, who who's applying that pressure for us to do it this way? Whose minds would need to be changed for us to be able to unapologetically and just yeah. freely do what we what we think or what we know children need developmentally that will result in stronger skills for later right. formal reading. And I find a lot of times like when we say, okay, who's who's asking this? It's I feel like everybody's kind of pointing their fingers at somebody else too. Yeah. Like, well, the parents are wanting it. Well, no, the schools are they're thinking this. Well, the elementary schools and they're going, well, this person. Yeah. So one of the things I kind of talk about is like, well, let's just get the conversation going. Like, mm -hmm. uh, okay, can we change this thought process? Can we change our approach? You know, and and why? Why should we do that? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not going to happen overnight, but can we start talking and get everybody, you know, talking to one another? For and, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um <clears throat> This book comes at a really good time for me because in Indiana, and I think other states are moving this way too, or have moved, the state legislature just passed a law essentially saying um, science of reading has to guide uh, elementary school reading instruction. Uh -huh. And um, uh, so then the, the other part of that law is anyone who's teaching teachers has to be teaching the science of reading. And so I was looking for, in that, I want to be really sure that, because I have no problem with science of reading when we get to the appropriate ages for, <laughs> for that research. <laughs> um, but what my fear is that then it, it all that's going to push down mm -hmm. into these early years, as is always my fear. Um, and so I was like, I've, I've got to find a really good resource that will help me make sure that it's balanced and that we have really good, strong information about before they go to school and then then I can teach the you know the other stuff about when they're in elementary school yeah so um so I, that was just me being a fangirl again sorry <laughs> it made me a good school for that so um I will say chapters I will. you do talk about things about alphabetic kind of things you've got one about learning the alphabet begins with interest and connection letter recognition begins with vision letter sounds begin with phonemic awareness writing the alphabet begins with physical development. Um, and I told you that the the vision chapter really blew my mind because at the very beginning, you were like, it's more than just eyesight. It's yeah. more than just being able to see the letters to be able to read. So right. will you talk a little bit about, about that part of the book? Yeah, and, and I will say like, that was probably one, that was probably the hardest chapter for me to write just in that, like, I felt like 
it's information that we needed, but I really had to go, like, I feel like occupational therapists have a stake in it, ophthalmologists and optometrists and pediatricians. Like, I feel like there's a lot of different fields that have an interest in it. So like kind of siphoning through all the information and pulling it together. And I even kind of put in there, here are some good resources to Mm -hmm. kind of go beyond me. But when I really started, um, becoming interested in visual perception uh, was really my son, Mason, who I talk about a lot in the book. And I do want everybody to know he gave me full permission. He's almost 25. He's an adult. He has two college degrees. He, he completely gave his blessing on everything I said about him, but it really started with me as a parent trying to help him because he struggled so much in school and like his first grade teacher. And I even tell the story a little bit in the, in the, in the book, but like his first grade teacher calls and she's like, okay, he keeps putting his head on his desk. Uh, you know, when they were reading uh big boot, big books <laughs> that almost came out wrong. Yeah. <laughs> big, big yeah. book at group time. Um, she, you know, she told me, she's like, when I read, um, he looks away, but when I turn the page, he looks up at the book. But when I start speaking, he looks back away. Mm-hmm. And she was able to give me a lot of details that, I mean, it, it it took some searching, but I finally started learning a lot about visual perception and visual processing. And, and that really kind of opened my eyes to that. And it made me start thinking, okay, why are we not paying more attention to this? And when mm-hmm. you look at how it develops, well, it develops through children having play experiences, hands-on experiences, you know, being in the, the 3d world. Mm-hmm. And, and when you start looking at like, you know, visual constancy, a uh, figure ground, you know, all of those elements, um, that ties directly into reading and writing, you know, being able to pull the, the words from the page. Well, that's, you know, figure ground, um, uh, form constancy is where you can recognize the same letter, but in different fonts, um, you know, and like playing with puzzles that that helps with that. But when you kind of start making those connections, it's like, wow, this makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One of the very beginning of that chapter, I highlighted, you said this goes deeper than just eyesight, reading, writing, and alphabet knowledge depend on visual perception, the brain's ability to make sense of the information coming in through the eyes. I feel like that encapsulates so much of what, so much of the disconnect between um, what we know and what we do in early childhood. Sometimes we do that surface thing. We check, we do eyesight screenings, Uh um, but we don't think about the the deeper pieces. And why would I, if no one ever introduced it to me, you know? So that's what, when I was reading this, this chapter, I was like, oh, of course this makes sense. And now that I know it, I need to pay attention to it and use it. Um, but you know, before I was just like, oh, well, sure. If they can't see, they can't read, you know, that, that was the, the, the kind of level of my connection between, uh, vision and, and literacy. Well, and you know, when I took Mason, I took him to a, to a developmental optometrist when he was six and which was when kind of this was, we were tapping into all this and, you know, he, he passes all the eyesight, but then 
but the doctor just like takes a pencil up to his nose and his eyes did this like instead of coming together uh-huh um like his like his uh right eye went in but the left eye went out uh-huh and so what was happening that was that was a convergence insufficiency um his eyes were not coming together for that close work so his eyes were just looking straight ahead and he was, uh, it was making blurry vision. It was making things jump around on uh, on the page. Mm-hmm. So his strategy was he learned if he started covering his left eye, he only had one eye looking. So he was only seeing one image with that one eye. So that's why he started putting his head on the table. That's mm-hmm. why he started and his brain took over. Like his, yeah. so it, it started to be that he didn't have to cover his eye. His brain started to pull in that eye to the side. And yeah. I don't know, like, it was just like, it was so mind blowing to me. And like, once yeah. we did some vision therapy and kind of uh, helped correct that, it was like, okay, now he's kind of sitting back up, Yeah, at the, you know, at the desk. Yeah. There were two things that I, that I like about, um, or that I, I thought about when you shared that story in the book. And one is that could so easily have been interpreted as misbehavior or lack of focus when really he was working so hard to focus and and do what he needed. And which is the other thing you said was that his body, his brain was having to work so hard to compensate Mm -hmm. that that was all it could, all, all the energy was going to that. He couldn't really then focus on as easily what was happening. Um, uh, which I think is an important, two important considerations. Anytime we're trying to, uh, anytime we're talking about any kind of direct instruction situation, um, thinking beyond just, well, he does sit still or he doesn't sit still. He looks at me or he doesn't look at me. Uh-huh. You know, there's, there's all these other things that could be happening. Yeah. That's what there's was- another thing you say repeatedly through the book, just a phrase that I actually just made a big poster of in my classroom yesterday. <laughs> um, and it's something like, the brain tells the body what it needs and then the child's actions tell us. Yes. And and that's also what you're illustrating with your story about your son. The brain was telling his body how to make these compensations and, and meet the need to see the, the thing. Yeah. Well, and, and, then- and you know, with the, the teacher and in and, and the book, and, and I will say, I, I give that teacher credit because I kept asking very detailed questions yeah. and she'd go back. Okay. Let me go back and look. And then she'd come back and be like, okay, you know what? I noticed this, this, and this, and That's great. you know, on originally on the book, it was like, well, he's not looking. And then I'm like, have you asked him afterwards? Is he comprehending? And then she would, and she's like, he is. And then that's when she started noticing, you know, he looked away because, um, for him to hear her, he had to take the visual uh, stimuli out of play. So he, his brain was telling him, look away, you can hear her better. Uh-huh. Then he would hear the page turn, he'd look back up. and But it was him responding to his brain going, all right, this is what you need to, yeah. to be successful at this moment. Yeah. Um, thank God for that teacher. Like, it, you know, thank yes. God that, that, um, uh, that she was open to those kinds of questions from you. And, and then you were sort of both scientists together trying to figure out what, what these, what this all meant. Um, so the other chapter, I mean, I liked all of them, but this, the other one I really got a lot from and um, uh, is really sticking with me right now in, in terms of curiosity and wanting to dig deeper and figure out how to, is the um, writing the alphabet begins with physical development. So I, you know, I, of course, 
you know, I, I always talk about how going up the slide is actually really great pre-writing. Like it wasn't that the idea of physical development being important was new to me, but it was the way that you outlined the depth of all the things that contribute that we can only really fully support if we're allowing children like full access to their bodies to meet their movement needs and, right. and, and play, you know? Well, and, and again, bless Mason's heart. He inspired that, <laughs> not only that chapter, but that, that journey of, of me learning so much. And that's when I really became passionate about physical development. And I, you know, if you get the book, there's a picture of, of Mason in there that came from his fourth grade teacher who was also amazing, but it's him like curled up in this ball in his chair with a vest he pulled over his knees to keep himself up. And at the time we we're like, oh, okay. And then I eventually took him to an occupational therapist who filled in all those blanks. And mm -hmm. I just kind of became obsessed with learning more and more about physical development and how it all connected mm -hmm. and you know, and fine motor skills are important and they're great, but it, they all hinge on back to the, like the, the neck and the torso being stabilized. And that goes back to infancy and, and just children being on the floor and playing and not being contained and sitting. And so it's like, if we want children to be able to actually hold a pencil and write or even keyboard too, because we're, mm -hmm. you know, so uh, digitally um, inundated with stuff, but um children have to develop their core. They have to develop those, those gross motor skills. And so it's like, well, then how do they develop? Well, mm -hmm. it's going out on the playground and watching their cues and letting them spin and letting them climb up the slide and, and hang and all the things that we don't let them do. Right. But really is critical. And it's like, well, why do the kids keep climbing? Well, because they, they need to engage, you know, not only, the neck and the torso and the shoulders, but their vestibular system, their proprioceptive system, which is, you know, the proprioceptive is where your body is in space and how much strength you need for a task. Well, that ties directly into when you're turning a page in a book that you don't do it with such force, you rip the page right. or a pen or pencil and writing, you know, not breaking the pencil because you're putting too much force or putting just enough that it actually appear, you know, the ink or whatever appears on, on the paper, but mm -hmm. all of that ties back to children running around and playing. And, and, and I try to make the point too, it needs to be child led because we need to allow them to move the way their bodies, you know, we can have a program or we can, and, and, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but we've also got to let them spin around. We've got mm -hmm. to let them got to let them climb we've got to mm -hmm. let them put their heads upside down there's a reason and there's a need for it right and we need to not try to decide when those things can you know they, those things can only happen for this 30 minutes in the exactly. morning you know um yeah. which is it's so difficult to fit into like current thinking current traditional classroom setups current yeah. traditional daily schedule kinds of things um but you know, one thing that I am, you know, really over the last five years or so, as I learn more about physical development, um, is the what we say is, well, we need to let them get their energy out. We need to let them burn their energy. It's always like, so we can get back to our goal. We'll let them. Um, and it's sort of like a, a more of a behavioral thing. Like maybe they won't misbehave so much if we let them burn their energy off. 
if we could shift it to thinking about one, that it's just a need their body has (laughs) (laughs) and and they deserve to be able to, to, to meet that need, but also to connect it. You know, I, I'm absolutely a believer that children should be allowed to play just because it's their right to play, but I'm also a realist. And I know that we have to put our argument and our advocacy into terms that mean something to the person we're trying to persuade. So if we can say, oh, look at all this stuff that contributes to the reading goals you have or the writing goals you have for them, um, that's maybe going to be more persuasive than me just saying, look, they're kids, they should play. Right, exactly. (laughs) Both things can be true. Play can be valuable and a right. And just because, and it can also contribute to all this learning and development that we have goals for. Right, exactly. And that's what I kind of hope with the book is like to kind of give some of those talking points that yeah. you know, let's let's go a little bit deeper with this and and show and and I agree. It's like I, you know, I, I feel it is the child's right. And it's like it's that's the core of of, of childhood. It's mm-hmm. is that just playing and, and being in control of it, them them being in control of it. Yeah. But if I can help the stakeholder see the value and if that makes a change, then great you know yeah. <laughs> yeah for sure um uh hold on I have to take a look at something here because I forgot I got all caught up and forgot to plan ahead on what was happening I love seeing the tabs in your book too I'm like such a like tab and a highlighter and a, I, <laughs> I love it um this is totally off topic but um when I'm watching uh, like I watch CNN, MSNBC on the weekend mornings. And they, there's always somebody who's being interviewed about a book and the host will bring out their book yeah. with all the tabs <laughs> and uh, it just warms my heart. Um, oh, here's what I was going to, I was, wait, maybe I have it. Maybe I don't. This is very fascinating podcasting for everyone listening. Um, let's just move on because I think I just completely forgot it. And this may be the podcast that I actually edit. <laughs> <laughs> just to cut myself out of that. Um, oh no, I have it. You were okay. you were talking at some point about how um, uh, not everything that contributes to alphabet knowledge looks like an alphabet activity. Yes. And I think that maybe that was in your letter of the week section, but I know that's a hot topic. People really cling to their letter of the week um, or cling to their... Um, alphabet charts all over the walls and and (laughs) like that because it's 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 sort of comfortable it sort of makes sense like well if we have letters of course they'll learn them but but there's this deeper understanding that you kind of guide us through in the book of what kind of activities might not look like alphabet knowledge but actually are supporting alphabet knowledge yeah and I think that that kind of comes back to like pretty much anything that's working on the visual perception, the phonological awareness, the physical development, and yeah. you know, it's it all contributes to literacy and and alphabet knowledge. So, um, again, kind of like to you saying climbing up the slide. Well, yeah. it's it's not an alphabet activity or even like a literacy based activity, but it is. It, mm-hmm. it contributes to the foundations that need to be there for that. And so, yeah. you know, and and I'm I'm I'm. I don't want to say I'm anti-curriculum, but I'm I'm kind of anti- I'll say I'm anti-curriculum. Okay, okay, good, good. Okay. <laughs> if that helps. <laughs> okay, then I'm gonna go with that. Yes. Put so that I, on me. Yeah. <laughs> so, but like I guess it's just trying to get everybody to see, like, you you don't have to have this boxed curriculum. You don't have to purchase something 
it, you know, just if we just let children play and really anything, if, if we're, you know, and even if it's a, a developmentally appropriate teacher directed, even though it's not singing the alphabet, maybe we're just marching around and, and doing kind of a fun music and movement aspect. Well, all that contributes to the alphabet knowledge. So we don't have to have kids just sitting at the table doing a worksheet, you know, mm-hmm. and that was kind of my goal is to say, okay, here's your alternatives. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be, you know, that alphabet, yeah. you know, yeah. and I go back to the visual, uh, visual perception, you know, it's like, well, anything that's working on that, well, yeah, you know, so like in a sensory tab, it doesn't always have to be the alphabet letters in there to connect to, you know, the alphabet, if they're just sifting through and, and finding things and, well, that's still working the visual perception. So that's mm-hmm. still, it still connects. It's still there. Yeah. Um, I had someone, I think it, it was in a class last semester or a couple of, in, in the past, at some point I had a student in a class and we were talking about, I was sort of making connections between physical development and, and um, literacy and, and writing and writing in specific, but one of the students just finally said, this is so much to remember. (laughs) Why do we have to know all this? Why can't we just do, you know, someone else writes it and we just, we just do it. Yeah. um, You know, absolutely. It's a lot, but what that, what that fits for me is one of the things people struggle with about letting, letting in quotes, children play is, well, then how am I a teacher? You know, how am I, how am I using any expertise? What, why do I have to get a, a degree just to let children play? And and this whole book is like a, an, ex, a, an example of here's yeah. how you're the teacher. You right. have this knowledge, you know how to support, you know what to look for, you know what's what the priorities are. Yeah. And I think it was in um, from teaching to thinking. Um, oh, yeah. Good one. Yes. And, and I think it's in there where they um, it's. Um, and Palo and Margie Carter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have an aunt who's Margie Clark. <laughs> so that's, oh, yeah. but yeah. um, I, I think it's, and I think I might've even quoted them, like, just because you're not like directly right there doing it doesn't mean that you're not an active participant in what's mm-hmm. happening. Like you've, yeah. you've done some stuff ahead of time, but you know, you don't have to be instructing every single thing. It's yeah. like, you still have to be aware of their development and design. You're still designing the environment. Like it's still very like in-depth stuff that we're doing. Um, And I think that translating for stakeholders is a big piece that we don't value enough in terms of our role as a teacher, being able to recognize when they're, um, you know, when they're crawling on all fours, how can I connect that to a goal that's meaningful for my stakeholder? That's that translation. Um, is a big piece of, of how we are teachers then too. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I think I emailed you and said, I I need another one for math. Yeah. (laughs) And I told Kirsten at exchange (laughs) that I need another one for math because it's, you've just done, done such a really thorough, thoughtful job. Thank you. Telling us how to be authentic supporters and, and teachers, if you need that word, yeah, uh, of literacy to children, you know, birth to five and, and how some, like part of it, a lot of it, I think will be validating. Like people already felt instinctively that this was the, the right thing to do. 
Yeah. Um, but didn't know how to articulate it necessarily. Um, and I, I, so I, I think I hope I hope that it gives kind of like the the verbiage and the tools and yeah. kind of just a, a a base to kind of springboard off of like of okay here here is some information to take and go share and yeah you know, the substance behind yeah um hold on I want to look at one more thing um well I guess I mean we we've talked about We haven't necessarily used the word individualization, but everything you're writing about and talking about requires that we are looking at at individual children. So I guess I, I maybe I'm just going to ask you to to speak to how could this the knowledge this information help us to be be meeting that individualization goal. Um, rather than focusing on standardized children. Yeah, you know, I one of the things like I, I kind of keep coming back to is like, you know, each child has an ecosystem and, and we yes. have to connect. Um, if the child doesn't connect to whatever we're doing, it's not going to connect to them. You know, whatever, if what we're doing doesn't connect to the child, the child's not going to connect to it. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think it's just important that we look at each child at, as the individual and and then recognizing, you know, we all have different interests and um, we all develop differently and, and at different rates. And, um, you know, and, and I think understanding too um, that, you know, when, when we can relate to the child and, mm -hmm. and just make sure everything connects with them. I mean, to me, that's when everything almost kind of escalates. Like, like if a child connects to it, it's going to go fast. Like they're, they're going to learn it. They're going to get right. interested in it, you know? And then I think from a developmental standpoint, um, if, if we do have like a, a task or something that the child is, is for whatever reason, not able to do for us to be able to step back and go, okay, it's, it's, let's look at this differently. You know, let's look at this developmental standpoint. And, um, so hopefully, hopefully that helps us just kind of look at each child, you know, as the individual and connect with them and and really and truly that, that, that's kind of that an anti-curriculum yeah. stance too, because it's kind of going, okay, how can, how can we design, how can somebody who's never been in our classroom design what we're doing when well, they don't know all the children that we're working with at that, right. you know, at that time frame. So, right. And if you're, if your practice or, or your, your well, I'll just say if your if your practice when you're working with children depends on whole group stuff all the time, where everybody's doing the same activity, then yes, planning for individuals would be a nightmare. Like trying to to individualize this this standardized plan that's that everybody's doing all at once. But if we're looking at play and child led play, it becomes so easy to individualize. Yeah, and really to see really. what they need in that individual for that individual child. Yeah, and then you know that and that kind of helps you. You're, you're constantly observing and watching, and then really kind of constantly changing your your classroom. And that doesn't mean like switching things out. It might be <laughs> keeping something in there for a long time because uh -huh. you have one child going back to the same thing over and over and over. But when we kind of like open that space up and and make sure that we have some, you know in the environment, something that connects to each child, well, it's way easy and it's mm -hmm. way, you know, 
And then they start talking with one another, then it opens their world, you know, they kind of open each other's worlds up, but yeah. 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 Um, uh, well, now I just want to go find a group of children to play with. <laughs> to watch play. <laughs> um, these are the conversations that make me really miss being directly working with with young children all the time. Yes, um, I agree. Yeah. Uh, but I'm also thinking because uh, uh, I'm also thinking about, you know, if I, if I ever do have the opportunity to like build a lab school here at the college where I teach, like, how can I incorporate this into the philosophy and the daily curriculum and the, the schedule and how will I use this with those, with those stakeholders? So just personally, I'm really thankful for the book too. Well, that makes me so happy. Thank you. Yay. <laughs> what else? Is there anything else you wanted to talk about or, or any other part of the book you want to bring out that I haven't asked about or led to? I, I think we've like kind of touched on, you know, uh, probably the only other thing I would bring up that um, you were talking about, you know, children's brains tell them what to do. Another thing I talk about is um, experiences wire the brain repetition strengthens the wiring. Yes. Yes. And um, one of the things I, I, try to reiterate is that's not the repetition is not the adult drilling and killing like it's that that's it's when we open up the space for children just freely play we'll see if they'll repeat things over and over again maybe it's a play scenario that they're trying to figure out or maybe it's them like on the slide climbing up trying to go higher and higher each day Mm -hmm. but but that repetition really just kind of helps strengthen what's going on with the brain and the brain and the body. And uh, so I think that child-led repetition is so important and, mm-hmm. and that kind of helps us also go, okay, well, why is this child always getting on the swing and spinning and spinning, and spinning? Well, yeah. you know, they, they need to have that repetitive action to help develop the, the vestibular system or, you yeah. know, why they're constantly climbing, but, but that, that, that child-led repetition, I think is so important. And then I think when children get things to a point that they're satisfied, like, okay, I'm good with this. <laughs> they tend to move on, you know, yeah. but it's their standard. It's, it's, it's the, the goal they've set for themselves. They persist, you know, they're very persistent with it, very intrinsically motivated. And when they get to a point that they're like, you know what, I, I achieved what I wanted, wanted yeah. to achieve, whatever it may be, they move on. Yeah. And there's, there's really a big misconception that children need constant new things or they'll become bored. But when we really watch children follow their own interests, they frequently do this kind of repetition. Right. And, and it's because that's how their brains and bodies are built to, to get what they need for that development. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that experience all adds up. I just, um, you know, I think the word like thinking about the foundation gets thrown around a lot, but we don't really give it all. A lot of folks don't really give it um, full time, full attention, full intention. Um, And uh, this, you know, this, this whole thing that you've written is just taking seriously the foundation that's going to achieve those other goals when they're getting into those older grades and things. Yeah. That's what I hope. Like, you know, there, there is kind of a system to it. And if we yeah. respect it and be patient with it, you know, it, it, it really, it's better than skipping those steps. And, you know, it, instead of introducing things too early, it's going, Oh, let's, let's understand development and be patient and let that, you know, that foundation, be built and then yeah. we go from 
from there. Yeah. Well, I just thank you for this book <laughs> <laughs> and for your time uh, and, and coming on and talking. And um, uh, I hope you'll come on again. And I would and love to. More. Yeah. I would um, love so if people are like listening to you, like at the beginning, when you were talking about this book came from workshops and trainings you were doing, or is that something you still do? Do you want people to find you? How can they find yes, you? Yes, absolutely. Um, so my website is stacybenge.com and it's, I always have to spell it because both my names are always misspelled. Yep. A-C-Y-B-E-N-G-E.com. <laughs> so <laughs> Cool. Or, or go to exchanges website and you'll see my, my name there. And, um, but yeah, you can get the book through exchange press, but yeah. 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 Um, and they're, you know, they're great over there. So I'll just add to remember if, if you, if, to check that ap, uh, episode description, folks, if you want to look for that, um, that coupon code for shopping and buying this book at exchange. Um, Yes. Just thanks, Stacey. I guess that's where we'll end it. Um, and thanks everybody for listening to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.